Hey, this is Jim Fleming, and this is the Stuart Heights Fleming Sunday School Podcast. This podcast is a recording of our weekly Sunday School class, as well as a few other teaching opportunities I get at my church. But before you listen further, you may want to go to teachings.jim314.com and download the student and or teacher handouts so you can follow along visually and take some notes. Thanks for listening. Come back often, and feel free to add this podcast to your favorite podcast app or to iTunes. Now let's get to this week's lesson. You can be finding uh, Romans chapter 1. Thank you for coming this morning. I am not our bearded leader, but um, I'll be teaching this week Romans chapter 1 verses 8 through 15. For those of you who do not have a device or want to follow along in the ESV, which is the version we'll be using. There's one on the table for you if you don't have a copy of your own. This weekend, uh, I was down at the Trade Center for a convention, and J.D. Greer, pastor in North Carolina, he spoke and uh, just popped in my head as I was telling you about the scripture there, because he said uh, he remembers growing up, and most of you, if you grew up in church, your pastor probably said something like, I love to hear the the uh, turning of the pages of the Bible, you know, it's sweet to his ear. He said, I don't get that, I just get glows in the dark, you know, as everybody looks down at their, at their device. <laughs> so, I'd love to read all of Romans. Uh, and it's challenging not to because there's such a flow in, in this letter. And as Jim spoke the uh, last couple of weeks in his two lessons, uh, Paul writes on run-on sentences. And I'd love to start in verse 1 and just, just read all the way through and read through chapter 1 at least. But time prohibits us from doing so. So I'm just going to read the verses that we're going to be looking at today. Romans chapter 1, verses 8 through 15. The Apostle Paul writes, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of His Son, that without ceasing I mention you, always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last come to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel 
to you also who are in Rome. The ESV uh, section title here, which I'll be using titling this lesson, is Longing to Go to Rome. And it's very clear that Paul, in this longest introduction, this longest salutation of all of his letters, is longing to go to Rome, to Rome and to see these Christians that he had never seen before. And we pick up in this long introduction that begins in verse 1, we pick up today in verse 8. Paul is still in introduction, but he switches. He transitions from kind of a biographical part of the introduction, talking about himself, and then he begins drawing a personal connection to the Christians that are in Rome. In verse 8, he begins, First, I thank. In all of Paul's writings, he uses a form of the word thank 49 times. Now, I had actually broken that up, and that's a little interesting tidbit, but it's pretty much useless. It's just 49 times, just count on that. 49 times in his letters, he will use some form or fashion of the word thank or thankfulness or thanks. Now, where in the order of things does Paul place giving thanks? First, he says, first, I thank. First can be defined as coming before all others in time and order. I like this part of the definition. It is foremost in position, rank, or importance. It is foremost in position, rank, or importance. It is first. Thank, thanks. Thankfulness can be defined as expressing gratitude, appreciation, or acknowledgement. Paul says, the first thing, I thank my God. I express gratitude and appreciation. One of the greatest assets for a Christian is the ability to boldly give thanks to God. We can come into God's presence... And boldly give thanks to Him. A sacrifice, a worship, a petition that is pleasing to holy God. How? Paul writes, first I thank my God through. Through can be defined as moving in one side and out the other. Continuing in time toward a completion of a process. So how do we go to God? Here's the Sunday school answer. How do we go to God? Through, come on guys, Jesus. Jesus. We go to God through Jesus. It is a completion of a process through. Jesus says in uh, John chapter 14, 6, the famous verse that if people argue about the exclusivity exclusivity of the gospel that Christ never said he was the only way then you bring them to John 14:6 and they have a hard time dealing with that scripture because what does it say Jesus said to him I am the way and I am the, I'm not a way I'm not one way I'm not there are not other ways I am the way the truth and the life right 
No man comes unto the Father except through me. He is the door. He is the door to eternal life. He is the door to the Father. He is that through process. Jesus is the door of cleansing and ability. It is to Jesus on one side that an unclean, unbeliever, a seeker, whom you may be today, someone seeking knowledge about God, someone seeking to know God, someone seeking a way how to get to God, knowing that there is more to this life, and you are seeking knowledge, but you are unclean. You cannot come before holy God. It would be like you coming and rags and dirt before the king. And yet through Jesus, this door that you come into and on the other side of the cross, on the other side of Jesus, you are no longer a seeker, but you are a believer. You have come to a faith in Christ that He is the Son of God, that He is the way, the truth, and the life. And it is on that side of the process that we come to God and that Paul comes here in around 56 AD writing this letter saying, I have come through God, I've come through Jesus to God to make this petition. We go through Jesus the door. He says that Jesus Christ for all of you, I thank God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Michelle Erickson, he, she has um, John MacArthur's commentary as we've broken up all the commentaries that you may be familiar with as we're going through Romans. And she sent a great quote from Johnny Mac this week. And he wrote this, Some churches are famous because of their pastor, their architecture, their stained glass windows, or the size or wealth We have all of that in Chattanooga, by the way. I got to thinking about that. I can take you downtown. I love history, and I love walking through old buildings. And I've went through a lot of old churches in downtown. There's one church in downtown, by far one of the best architecture churches I've ever seen. It is gorgeous. I mean, they've got a garden inside. I mean, it's, it's really neat. Beautiful sanctuary, beautiful brick. It's absolutely beautiful. Then there's another church that's pre-Civil War, and it's known for its history and its impact on our community, and it's one of the leading churches in its denomination. And then there's another church that's pre-Civil War downtown. It's known for its stained glass windows, Tiffany Glass. Tiffany came from New York. The Tiffany Company did. They appraised them and said, they're so old and so rare and so valuable, we can't actually put a price on these windows. Needless to say, they're not going in my house. So they're beautiful, beautiful stained glass windows. And that church is known for that. There's a church just down the road from us that's known for their pastor. He has a large international ministry and television ministry, and they're known for him. And there's churches up on the mountain that are known for their wealth. I can tell you there's a church up on Lookout that's a small congregation, and they've got money. And uh, they've got a gym. They've got, uh, it's 24 hours a day that their members can go in, and it's a small congregation. But Rome, they were known for what? John MacArthur says the church in Rome was known for their faith. What a reputation to have. Because at the end of the day, 
Is it money? Is it power? Is it prestige? Is it your belongings? How big a castle you've built? What kind of kingdom you've built? That's not a reputation. That's things. Paul, Paul said the church in Rome, you're known all over because of your faith. Spurgeon. Alright. Now if you've been listening, if you come to some of my lessons that I've taught here, you know there's going to be a Spurgeon quote, right? Okay. Alright, so Charles Spurgeon, he wrote, they must have had faith, true faith. They must have had true faith or they could not have confessed Christ between the jaws of a lion. For they lived in Rome with Nero hunting after Christians as if they had been wild beasts and yet they were not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Whew. And that's why he's Spurgeon. <laughs> Verse 9, Paul picks up, For God is my witness. A witness is one who has personal knowledge of something. Think of it as a, a legal term. If you were going to go to court, who better to call than God? And one day it is to His Son that will be our witness that we have been reconciled to Him on that great judgment day. What a great witness we will have on that day. Paul writes, "...whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of His Son." Paul reminds the Christians at Rome that he is a servant. He isn't just serving in spirit, but he's physically active in the mission of the church. He's doing something. How would Paul write that today in 2017? How would he write that? God, whom I serve through my financial offering, and then I go to lunch. Or the God whom I serve through my social media accounts. Because, you know, we need to take stands on every issue and God's looking at us and are we going to be silent and how are we going to address something? So what I do, I put it on my social media accounts of the 15 or 20 that we all have. And, you know, the check mark is done. Paul is active. Paul is traveling foot to dirt road. God's not that impressed probably by the stances we take on social media or by the offerings we drop in the plate and say, let somebody else do it. There's nowhere in Scripture that we really see that. We see Christians being martyred. We see Christians in the first century, not only in Scripture, but through history. We see, again, foot to dirt road. As Spurgeon said, in the jaws of a lion they confess that they are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not in the entanglement of Facebook <laughs> or Twitter or whatever. <laughs> so there are issues that we face today in 2017 that the church should not be silent about. But silence, when it gives way to voice should also give way to action. I was impressed when we had marches this past week in Washington. And I'm not talking about the marches that made the news. I'm talking about the march that didn't make the news. I'm talking about the thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people that went to Washington, D.C. and marched for life. And not one police officer was assaulted. 
Not one car was burned. If you look at the pictures afterwards, there was no turned over trash cans. It was clean. That doesn't make ABC Evening News. But there were some people that said, I will take my time, my vacation, my money, and I will go petition and show my government about life. Am I pro-life? Yeah, I'm I'm pro-life. I'm for sanctity of the infant in the womb. But I haven't done that. Those folks didn't just put on their Facebook they were pro-life. They took their time, their talents, their treasures, and went on the road and at least did something. We are facing a lot of things in this world today. And, And we need to be vocal about it, but we need to be active about it. We need to be very active. The church as active is moving. Paul writes, That without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you, for I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Now that's a huge chunk of Scripture there, but when you, when you read it, it's kind of saying the same thing, all of those verses, which is why I didn't break them up. Paul knew the importance of fellowship. Don't fight the battle alone. The importance of fellowship, of being together, it was the design of the church. Here at our church, we, we know the importance of that. And we offer Bible studies and partnership programs and mentoring programs. And Paul here, what I love is it's not just him saying, I'm coming and I'm going to make you better. What's he saying? He's saying, I'm coming and, and I'm coming to give, but I'm coming to get. And I want to be encouraged by you. And I want us to share with one another our struggles and what we're going through and the joys that we've experienced. Here at our church, our men's ministry, we're going to have Iron Sharpens Iron uh, in February, at the end of February. If you're a man and you have the opportunity to go to that, you ought to try to go to that. Sign up. It's a very good conference that you can be in fellowship with other men and listen to some good speakers. The keynote speaker this year is the guy that wrote Every Man a Warrior, which again is a Bible study that we are going through in our church for the men's ministry. Women's ministry, they, 90 of them met this past weekend. There are so many opportunities that you have here that we are trying to give you so that you cannot go through this alone. Do not go through life alone. The church is a community. Partake in the community. Live life together. Paul also, also shows us the borderless church. The borderless church. So I'm not saying for definite, but uh, if you, uh, Douglas Moo is what our bearded leader, Jim Flemingham, and, and Moo writes, and it's pretty well recorded in uh, most commentaries, most believe because of some of the names that Paul wrote and the time that he's writing this letter that he's probably writing from Corinth. So a borderless church, here's a man 
who is writing, let's say, from Corinth. He's writing to Christians in Rome. And he is planning to go where? He wants to go to Rome, but he's got one place he's got to go before he gets there, doesn't he? He's going to Jerusalem. And he's planning on going to Rome after he leaves Jerusalem on his way to Spain. I always want to go to Spain. I think the Who wrote a song about going to Spain or something like that. But I always wanted to go to Spain. But that's a borderless church. Paul is taking not only the gospel there, there are places that he's going. The gospel's already there. He's not been to Rome. The gospel's there already. He's just going to fellowship with them. Paul picks up, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. Paul kind of repeats himself here, doesn't he? Verses 10, 11, 12, 13, they all kind of have a similar sound. I want to come to you, then prevent it. When I get there, I want good things to happen. Paul reinforces to the reader what he's trying to do. Trying to come and trying to serve. Spurgeon wrote this. I, I never had thought of this, but again, that's why he is Spurgeon. He, write, he wrote, Paul wanted to go to Rome... But I do not suppose that he ever thought that he would go there at the expense of the government with an imperial guard to take care of him all the way. We pray and God gives us the answer to our petitions, but often in a way of which we should never have dreamed. Paul goes to Rome as a prisoner for Christ's sake. Now, suppose Paul had gone to Rome in any other capacity. He could not have seen Caesar. He could not have obtained admission into Caesar's house. The prison of the Palatine was just under the vast palace of Caesar's. And everybody in the house could come into the guardroom and have a talk with Paul if they were minded to do so. I suppose that whatever I might be willing to pay, I could not have preached in the palace of the queen, even in this nominally Christian country. But Paul was installed as the royal chaplain over Caesar's household in the guardroom of a Palatine, of a Palatine prison. How wonderfully God works to accomplish His divine purposes. That's a good word. The terminology also points to the church being mixed with both Jews and non-Jews. Uh, he uses the terms brothers and later states among you, kind of pointing to his Jewish brethren that are in Rome. But he also specifies with the words as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. The great theologian Chris Arnold is a member of our class. He, he, uh, he sent some great statements uh, this, this week and he wrote, Romans strongly identified with and emulated the ideals of Greece. They even stole the Greek gods and gave them Roman names. 
So it appears that Paul was mindful of his audience and their collective history. We're talking to a mixed church. Now they had hiccups. You know, they had some bumps in the road. But it was a church that was reaching their community. And it's not just one church. We believe that this wasn't going to a specific church house. This was going to several different houses to be passed around in the city of Rome. And so Paul is mindful of that cultural diversity. Again, a borderless church. And not just in physical matter, but in a cultural matter. It's borderless. He picks up in verse 14, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. Now, who would want to be called a barbarian? Well, Paul is not using that in the term that we would think of it today, but he's using it in the sense of in 56 AD, uh, if you were not in civilized Roman society or Greece or perhaps Jerusalem, and let's say you were in Spain, you were in a considered barbarian in the sense that you're in an uneducated, uncivilized, unskilled culture. Okay? And Paul says that I am under obligation to them and I am under obligation to those that are in Rome and under obligation to those who are, are educated, who are skilled, who are in a civilized society. The gospel is for you, them, us, everyone. The gospel is for you, them, us, and everyone. It's a tie, but I would say one of the great things that I read this week, Chris sent, Chris Arnold sent, and I loved how he said this. Paul blew down cultural and social walls and put up a new sign that said, all are welcome. Now, let's jump back for just one second. We're talking about a borderless church, and now we're talking about all are welcome. So, again, in our society, we're facing a lot of talk for the last couple of years about refugees, right? And what to do about this and the security of our country versus the goodwill of America and of the church. And we're going to take to social media and we're going to take stands and all of this. Uh, but are you welcoming? Are we just taking the stand in a safe social media sense? Or is foot to dirt? Is hand to plow? What are you doing? What are you doing? There are people hurting in this world. Guess what? That's not new. Can you uh, tell me what country sent us the most refugees last year since it's a huge topic? Not Syria. The Congo. The Congo. I don't recall many people writing about we need the refugees from the Congo. <laughs> There are always people hurting. But let me tell you something. I'm not, I'm not saying I'm for or against that. But there are people literally miles from here that are going hungry tonight. And they're not refugees. 
They're Americans and they're citizens of your county and your city. And they need more than just us making a stand on social media. They need us feeding, clothing, and educating. Guess what the church used to do? We used to feed, we used to clothe, we used to educate. When all else was denied, in the dark ages, the light was the church. We still educate for $50,000 a year. You can send your child (laughs) to this great education facility. (laughs) We need to clothe. We need to feed. We need to educate. We need to love those around the world and those around our community. Let's not hide behind social media. Let's not think that we've pleased God by making some kind of stance in the safety of our living room. It's a challenging thought, and it's a challenging process. But how challenging is it in reality? As Spurgeon wrote again, it was in the jaws of lions that our ancestors as Christians said that they were not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So how challenging, really, do we have here in America? Verse 15. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Jim Fleming sent the email. He said, uh, I love how Paul doesn't see the preaching of the gospel as something that only unbelievers need. Believers need the gospel to be preached to them as well. So God help us if we get too big for the gospel. We always need it and we can scarcely get enough of it. That's a good word. Spurgeon said, I open the Bible and I make a beeline for the cross. The gospel is for Christians and it is for unbelievers. If we ever stray away from the gospel... In any doctrine that we have, if we cannot see the the scarlet thread through Scripture, the bloody footprints on the pages of this book, then we need to re-examine what we're looking at. We need to re-examine what we are believing. I mean, from the Trinity to the doctrine of the church to baptism... It is all about God's supreme sacrifice, reconciling dirty, unclean humanity through the door of Jesus Christ so that we can come before a holy God, clean and blameless, preaching the gospel to those who are already believers and to those who are non-believers. So how do we apply this? What is the point? One, giving thanks is important and not simply a check mark. You know, when I was in youth group, uh, we would have all of these books and lessons and conferences and it would tell you how to pray and how you need to do this and how you need... And I mean, by the time I was done, I was confused. I, I didn't know what to do. I, was, I thought I had to have like a, a pamphlet, you know, every time I prayed. Uh, But giving thanks is not simply a check mark in a prayer. 
it's an important thing. In fact, Paul said here, his example is the first thing I do is I give thanks. Secondly, an active faith is active. (laughs) An active faith is active. We see here in Romans, Paul saying that their faith was impacting non-believers. It was influencing and making its way out of the city of Rome and into the Roman communities and into the Roman civilization. But it was also encouraging believers. An active faith impacts. It does something. It, it does not remain silent. It cannot be ignored. It, it was encouraging and impacting fellow believers in the gospel. Jessica Norris sent Woodrow Crowe's comments, and I just included those in your notes. Uh, I just thought they were kind of good to look at and to have. Um, I thought it was a pretty good idea what he said. It's not necessarily anything in order. He doesn't say this is a checkmark list or anything, but he just says that basically there are seven characteristics of Paul's prayer, and I think it's kind of good to read those and maybe look at those on your own time, but I think that's something, a good guiding light for us. So what do we do with that? What do we do with this lesson What do we do with the scripture that we've heard? Well, what is our first priority in conversation to God? What is our first priority in a conversation to God? Is it to hurry up so we can get to dinner? Is it to hurry up so we can say we've done it? Uh, We've done this check mark and we've moved on. What is our priorities? when we come and take advantage of this great gift to come before God. Secondly, what is our reputation among believers and among non-believers? It appears the church in Rome, the the Christians there in that city, had a reputation. They were known for their faith. And that is known among believers and that's known among non-believers. They were known for their faith in Jesus in the way. Finally, is your faith, is our faith, encouraging to others? Are we impacting ourselves and our, and our fellow brothers and sisters? Are we living life together in this, in this community called the church? Are we encouraging one another? Next week, I love these two verses. The righteous shall live by faith. Paul uh, continues his letter saying that I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation for all who will believe. First to the Jew and then to the Gentile. So I am excited um, for for Jim to lead us through that lesson. This week... You have resources, and the most important resource is what? The Holy Spirit. That's right, the Holy Spirit as we communicate with God and ask the Holy Spirit to guide us. Our process to ask the Holy Spirit for help. Read Romans. If you can read all the way through this week, 
we encourage you to do so, but certainly read. Uh, I would not just read verses 16 and 17 because that's too easy. It's two verses. Start back in verse 1 and read and show that uh, continuity. Um, I want to close real quick, and Jim's going to take one minute. But I mentioned earlier at the beginning that I heard J.D. Greer speak this week. He said something I thought was interesting, and, and I've known it. It's kind of one of those things that I've known. It's been in the back of my head, but hadn't thought of it in a while. He said, the first time the gospel left Jerusalem, there was not one single apostle present. It was a layperson from the church who took the gospel out to the city. And if you read this letter, and if you study church history, we, we believe there's not a, an apostle present in the city of Rome. It's all people like you and me, believers, impacting their city with the gospel, impacting their culture, influencing. So if that's true in Jerusalem, that's true in Rome, it can be true here in Chattanooga. God is not weaker. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, is not any less than it was 2,000 years ago. And we as believers have the same salvation, the same Spirit that they had then. So let's go out as we go to our workplaces, to our homes, to our schools, to our organizations, to our families. This week with that spirit, that same spirit, and let's try to influence our community right here in Chattanooga for the glory of God. Thank <music> you.